Well, please do make sure you've got a Bible in front of you. If you haven't, there should be a pile at the back. And our text this morning is Psalm 116. That's page 510 in the Visitor's Bibles. I'll give you a moment to find that. Page 510, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pains of the grave laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Therefore, I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I give back to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my chains. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah, indeed. Sometimes the best songs we ever sing are the ones we sing with defiance in our voice. I wonder if you've noticed that about Christian singing. When we sing, we stand together defying all the sorrow and fears and the things we have to face in this world. And when an army sings like that, we feel less afraid of the enemy. I think the best singing I've ever been a part of was at the funeral of a baby. There was a tiny little coffin right up at the front of the church. The tears were as honest as they come. And so we stood shoulder to shoulder, and as loud as we knew how, we sang, It is well with my soul. A room full of Christians, not pretending things away, but defying an enemy when things looked utterly hopeless. Sometimes we do it, don't we, around the bedside of a loved one. What do Christians sing together when we're saying goodbye to those we love? We don't sing dirges, do we? 
We praise, we defy, we sing amazing grace, don't we? And that joy means more to us then, in that moment, than at any other time. Well, in joining in with Psalm 116, we find an incredibly moving experience because it puts us right there, not quite around the bedside of a loved one, but in an upper room in Jerusalem as the Lamb of God prepares to take away the sins of the world, marking his last supper with his closest friends and singing his last song. So what did Jesus sing as he faced the cross? Not amazing grace, not it is well, but Israel had their own version of those songs. Jesus would have sung a little group of psalms called the Hallel, the Hallelujah Psalms, the ones used at all the major feasts and festivals, and especially at the Passover, two before supper, Psalm 113 and 114, and two after supper as he walked to the garden to face the end. Psalm 116 and 117. And 116 is the most deeply personal of them all, a song of heartfelt thanksgiving and hope all about the resurrection. It's written by another believer long before Jesus who'd experienced God's salvation as if he had been rescued from the very pit of death and hell. And he'd learned through that experience how wonderfully good and kind and trustworthy the Lord is to his precious children. And his words so anticipate Jesus' experience that Paul the Apostle would later tell us that in truth, this psalm was always meant to find its fullest expression in Jesus' song, Jesus' hope as he faced the cross. And so on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took this song on his lips as his amazing grace. One day, all of us are going to wake up in a new world. And if we've been redeemed by Jesus, we will feel the warm soil between our toes. And our hearts will be thrilling and we'll hear the sound of laughter. And immediately, every one of us will want to sing. And when we do, the song we sing will sound very like this one. If we could press our ear up to the tomb and make out the music right now on the other side, this is the sound we'd hear. So imagine then what it would have meant for the Lord Jesus Christ to sing this song on the day his crucifixion dawned. Jesus spent the early morning hours of Good Friday singing of Easter Sunday and stealing his heart for everything that lay ahead of him, teaching himself again that he could trust the God he loved, whatever he had to face, the lamb who sang in the face of death. Normally, those last moments around the bedside are incredibly private. It's sacred time, isn't it? And yet Jesus shares this time with his family. He lets us hear his song. 
In fact, as the psalm ends, we learn that his entire purpose in going to the cross is to lead us, all of God's people, into the land of the living where we can join in his praise. And so this is both the last song of the Lamb and the first song of the loved. And it's teaching us to do what Christians have always done, to stand and sing with joyful defiance. When you find yourself around that bedside, when you find yourself with Jesus on Good Friday in the shadow of death, sing like Sunday has come. Because it's what we always do, isn't it? That's what Christians do. Because Sunday has come. Christ is risen. Well, we'll look at this in two halves this morning. First in verses 1 to 11, the last song of the Lamb. As he faces the cross for you and me, he sings about love that held in the chains of hell. I wonder if you can hear him sing it without a lump forming in your throat, the courage in that moment. What held Jesus as he went to his death for you? He loved the Lord, verse 1. Everything Jesus would do for us at Calvary was an act of love and worship for his Father, the greatest act of love ever shown. And whoever first sang this song gives us the reasons for that love. I love the Lord because he first loved me. He heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He bent his ear down to me. And then verses 3 to 4 tell us when that happened. The writer was caught in the snares of death. And death here is something far more creepy than anything the kids dress up as for Halloween. Death is pictured as a person, a hunter with chains, a grave that reaches out and lays its hand on its victim and buries them alive. You see, death is an enemy. It's why we fear it so much. It's like a monster invading God's realm. But once this song is sung, Jesus will face this monster head to head, and all the pangs of hell will be laid on him, the sorrows and sins of a whole world, because he knows that there is a God whose love will hold true, even when he is caught in these chains of hell, a God who hears his children, verse 4, when we call on him, and who saves from death. You see what his hope is there in verse 4? His hope is the name of the Lord, the God I know, the God I love and who loves me. In the face of an enemy like death, his name, his goodness, is my only hope. That was the psalmist's hope centuries before. This God delivered me from death and hell. I love him because I've learned that I can trust him. And so verse 2, as long as I live, I will call on this God. And now, centuries later, Jesus screws up all his courage, and he sings of the same hope. God is his trust, and more than that, God is his treasure, his love. I wonder if you can say the same this Easter. God is my trust, and he is my treasure. 
Well, verses 5 to 11 help us to treasure him because the psalmist sings about what he learned through that resurrection, about God's grace. He learned, verse 5, that this God is kind and he's good, he does right, and he's trustworthy, so kind and good and trustworthy that he wipes the tears out of our eyes and catches us when we stumble. On the night that he sings this song, Jesus is going to discover in his human heart what he has always known to be true, that no human being is trustworthy at all, verse 11. His disciples will desert. His closest friend will lie. The charges against him that have him nailed to a cross will be slander. It's why he has to die, because there is a world of lies crying out for justice. But amid all the lies told on that night, God will prove himself to be deeply, profoundly truthful, trustworthy. And so Christ fixes his heart on that and he sings, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has been so good to you. He's dealt bountifully with you. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. And so tonight, I will rest in this God who is kind and trustworthy and good. I believe in him, verse 10. And because I believe, because I believe, I can speak honestly about my suffering. It's the hopeless people who stay silent who hide from death, who pretend it isn't happening. But I can cry out to God. I can say this is not fair. I can beg for the cup to be taken away from me, even though I know it can't be. Because even as I sing about him, this God who is so good and kind and trustworthy, I can almost hear the joy on the other side of the cross and the grave. I will walk again before this Lord I love in the land of the living. That was Jesus' hope. So can it be ours? Well, a few years later, another Christian was facing that same question, and he sang a line from this same song as he wrote to a church in Corinth, I believe, and therefore I spoke. And Paul is explaining to them there why he and the other apostles would give themselves over to death for the sake of this Corinthian church. And his argument is what it always is when it comes to these psalms. Because Jesus sang this song, it's become my song. I share the hope of a lamb who gave himself over to death. And this became his resurrection song. And so I can face the same death, safe with him. You could hop on a plane after church and scour every tourist trap in Palestine. And there is one thing you will never find. And that is a tomb for Jesus Christ. There are lots of little dark caves in the ground, most of them built over with churches now. But hell has no headstone where it can boast of its victory over Jesus because it didn't have one. It was robbed of victory. God, in his love, loosed death's chains. His offering was enough. It was sufficient. 
And so, verse 8, his soul was delivered. So what is our hope? What will we sing at death when the time comes? I wonder if we sometimes make it more complicated than it needs to be. Look at verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. Isn't that beautiful? God is saying, when your time comes, put your hand in mine. Like a little child who knows that their father is kind and trustworthy and deeply, deeply good. Keep it simple, child. Rest. Put your hand in mine and let your soul return to me where it's home. The land where all who were weary have cast their burdens and guilt on Jesus Christ. Rest in me. And then sing like you believe in the resurrection. The last song of the Lamb then was a song full of defiance and resurrection hope. Isn't that wonderful? Love that held in the chains of death. And then as the psalm closes, we get a glimpse of the joy on the other side of the cross. The praise we'll join with the choirs of heaven. Because verses 12 to 19 tell us that Jesus died so that we could join him in this first song of the loved. You see, verse 12 asks the question that every one of us is going to ask the day our eyes open on that new world. Hopefully, if you're a Christian believer, this is a question you started asking already. We start asking it the moment we truly understand what it means that another man went to the cross in our place out of love. What can I give back to the Lord for all the goodness he's given me? What can I give him? And the answer, of course, is nothing. You can never repay that. And actually, the answer the psalm gives is even more wonderful than that. God doesn't even ask us to repay him. Verse 13, God says, don't give, take. I will take the cup of salvation and drink deep. Now, what he's singing about there is the drink offering that went alongside Israel's sacrifices. It was something Israel was only ever told to do once they were safely enjoying the promised land, once they'd entered into God's rest, because a cup full of wine is a fruit of God's goodness, isn't it? Something you've received. There's a word in this psalm that's a little tricky to translate in verse 7, our ESV calls it God's bounty, his generosity. In verse 12, we get the same word in another form, the benefits God has given us, his kindness. It's a word that implies ripeness and richness and harvest. God's care for his children coming to completion. And that's what you celebrate when you lift a cup of wine, isn't it? He's talking about pouring out to God just a little splash of the goodness God has poured all over us. It's the opposite of the cup Jesus is about to drink as he sings this song. First, he will drain that cup of judgment and death. On the cross, he will offer himself up for our sin and drink that cup of wrath right down to the dregs. 
But when that sacrifice is made, when his work is finished and his offering is accepted, then he will lift this other cup and celebrate God's goodness. Do you notice how he repeats it all again from verse 17? But this time he calls this cup a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's the same thing. Praise for a salvation that is done. And what I find incredibly moving to see here is how all night long, Jesus has been holding on to this second cup in his heart. Just moments before they sang this hymn, he spoke about it with his friends. He will drink again from the fruit of the vine, but not until he drinks it new in the kingdom of God when his sacrifice is complete. Do you see how that will be more for Jesus than just a personal triumph, a personal victory. What he longs to do, verse 14, is to lift that cup high right alongside all of God's redeemed, the ones he will go to the cross to rescue. Jesus longed that night for you to enjoy this cup with him, to see him lifted up, and to know that everything he needed to do for you is done, accepted. Your sin washed away. Your death already died. Even as he's facing the cross and singing this song, he's thinking of the day he can enjoy the goodness and kindness of God in communion with you and me and everyone God gave to him paying your vows there in verse 14 and verse 18. That's all about publicly giving thanks. There's no way you can repay God or grace wouldn't be grace, but we can praise him for that forgiveness. And so sometimes when people cried out to God for rescue, they would make promises to him. And then one way they could praise him when he'd answered those prayers was by keeping those promises in front of others. It's about acknowledging who God is to us, what he's done. And so the whole second half of this psalm is working out verse one, isn't it? I love the Lord who heard my cry. And so now I want to testify to that love with all my people. He sings it twice. It's this hope that keeps him going. And in the middle, verse 15 and 16, is the heart of his testimony. Here's the thing that he longs to share with all his brothers and sisters, with you and me, the thing that Jesus sung on that night and knew we'd be singing for the rest of time. Precious. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Oh Lord, I am your servant. You have loosed my chains. There's the truth then that should convince us forever that we can share Jesus' hope. We too can face death holding God's hand. God is not indifferent to your life. He's not indifferent to your death. This is a resurrection song for the loved, the deeply loved. Your life is precious to him. It's something costly, treasured so costly that he gave the most precious thing he had to redeem you, his servant, his loved one in whom he was well pleased. 
the servant whose cross was not simply a death, but an offering. Jesus was God's servant in a unique, special way, wasn't he? The suffering servant, long promised, who would be led like a lamb towards this slaughter. But when the chains that held him dead were broken, the chains on our souls broke too. We were freed from slavery to sin and to death, and we became servants, just like him, of the Lord who loved us first, freed to join the praise, to sing in hope. And so in a moment, we will sit around this table that our Lord invited us to the night he sang this song, the night our lamb sang at death, fixing his heart on the God whose children are so precious to him. And each of us around this table will lift up a cup and proclaim his sacrifice. And in that moment, we won't be mourning for a good man who died for us. We will be rejoicing in a risen lamb whose work is done. As we raise that cup, we'll be proclaiming that however much we owe God for the lives we've led, we can face death holding his hand and trusting him and even rejoicing. And then we're going to go home and enjoy an Easter lunch with the people we love and have another little taste of that richness and bounty of God stored up for us by grace. If you don't have a table to sit at, come and find me after church because I bet there is not a Christian family in this room who wouldn't want to make space for you to celebrate alongside them. And hopefully you will lift up your glasses all over again, splashing out on far better wine than we serve here. And as you enjoy that rich food and rich drink and rich friendship, let it remind you of the work Jesus finished, the joy he has won so that he could share it with us forever. In our house, even the kids will get a little glass to toast with today, even though they never really drink it. But if I have nothing to give this God but a heart full of thanks, who cares if a little bit of good wine gets wasted on the floor? Some things are just too wonderful to praise quietly in our own hearts. They've got to be enjoyed together. What better words then to say to each other today as we raise our glasses to a risen king. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, who gave what was most precious that we could die in hope with confidence in your deep goodness, help us, we pray, to trust you and to treasure you for the rest of time. Thank you that because Jesus faced the cross for us like this, we can rest our souls in you. Would each of us here do that, Father, by your grace? Would we rest from our striving and our fears and put our hand in yours so that we too would walk again in the land of the living. Amen.